This is a Story Circle podcast. Holding Hands with My Dark Passenger by Premara. Shock Jock. Sometimes she likes to shock people with a candid description of the ghastly parts of her life. She has a colourful story. In any group of people, it's easy for her to have the worst story in the room. She told me once, though, that it has taken her a lifetime to realise that her childhood was not the average horrible life of abuse. Hers was quite the spectacular story. She was one man's sex slave from the time she was three months old until she was 15. That sentence alone grabs the headlines. In that single sentence is implied a whole lifetime of suffering, brokenness, self-loathing, the stigma of being damaged goods. And, as those who have trod the boards can attest, a vastness of daily heroism. She said to me yesterday on the phone, I got up this morning, that's my act of bravery for the day, and then she let go one of her infectious laughs. Underneath the humour though, I could feel the jagged edge of truth. Slavery without bars. I've known her for so long and we've talked about everything under the sun. For her and I, nothing is taboo. I've been gradually able to hear her stories of the horror. She struggles sometimes to explain. She said again to me last week, even though I was a sex slave from birth, I wasn't imprisoned by bars and locks. I was imprisoned by the era I found myself in. This was a time before financial assistance for women escaping violence. This was before youth refuges or rape crisis centres. This was an era before there was even a vocabulary for the life I was stranded in. I didn't know words like pedophile or perpetrator or rapist. I didn't know if what happened to me every night happened in every home or not. I didn't know if I was the only one. She dropped her head and swallowed hard, choking back the tears. Her hand slid across the table and squeezed my forearm till the nails dug in. No one spoke of such things anywhere, ever. So, silently, secretly, that life that was all she knew went on and on. She gave in. She gave up. She caved in. 
She could no longer get up. The depression infiltrated her every breath. It was like a pair of dark, tatty wings wrapped around her. A strange, familiar comfort lay within those filthy feathers. Depression was willing to be her friend when all else had deserted her. Saved by grace. I remember in the early years of our friendship, we spent a year apart when I got a fancy job down in Melbourne. We wrote to each other. That's what people did back then, before computers. We wrote long, intricate letters full of stories jam-packed with a literal honesty that I found both alarming and intriguing. Once, she wrote about a woman called Grace. She always said that Grace saved her life. There was a day, a moment really, when her whole life shifted. This is how she wrote about that day. I felt a gentle feather-like touch against my arm. Turning towards this whisper of sensation, I saw a face beaming a big, uncomplicated smile right at me. Come with me, she said, gently placing her hand under my elbow, as if to simultaneously cradle my arm and lift me to standing. Naturally, I followed her out of the crowded room. She led me across the courtyard and along the sandstone walkway to the back garden behind the chapel. She took me further into the garden than I'd ever been before. The dappled sunlight played tricks with my eyes as garden beds of flowers gave way to tall trees and wild undergrowth. My heart was pounding now. I felt my eyeballs pulsating with every heartbeat. My palms were wet. My tongue was dry, sticking to the roof of my mouth. I didn't know where we were going. I didn't know what was going to happen. Did she have a plan? Why was she taking me here? A thousand questions ricocheted about my mind. What petrified me the most was the thought that rang out loudly over and over, gradually drowning out all the rest. I had a secret. I had a filthy, dirty, foul secret. I was buried alive under tons of sordid secrets. We turned sharply to the left into the dim light in the depths of the back garden. We entered a small cave laced with moss. In the back corner, a sweet, spring-fed pool trickled. This is the grotto, she said softly, as if the words themselves were sacred. I come here when I need to be safe and alone. You are safe here. I've noticed you've been sad and sitting alone a lot lately. She let the sentence hang in the air. I couldn't bear to lift my head. I stared rigidly at the water dancing and trickling into the pond. Her breathing was measured, audible, comforting. 
Her voice reappeared out of the quietness, as if she was sliding slowly back into speaking, tentatively reaching across the void to my frightened ears. Is everything all right at home? Her words buzzed in my ears. I could barely breathe. I had craved for someone to ask me that question. I'd waited my whole life for someone to ask me that question. I'd given up hope years before that anyone would ever ask me that question. And right there, as the question rang in my ears at last, all I wanted to do was run and run and run, gasping in desperation to get as far away from that question as I could. Is everything all right at home, she gently repeated. Here I was, in the sacred grotto, with nowhere to hide and nowhere to go. This was the moment. How could I dread so completely the very thing I'd craved all my life? The breath caught in my throat as I managed to force out a single word, almost inaudible. No. There it was. In a single syllable, the wall of secrecy began to crumble. No, I repeated. Inside, the wall teetered and tottered. No, I said again, vocalising again a sound so unfamiliar. The wall of silence shuddered and tumbled completely. No, it's not okay, I wailed. I shuddered and tumbled. The words shuddered and tumbled. In that moment, my whole world shuddered and tumbled. Once you tell a secret, it's not a secret anymore. In breaking the silence, she broke its sinister spell. In breaking the silence, she began building resilience. Never again would she be silenced into submission. The Dark Passenger You'd think that once the abuse stopped happening on a nightly basis, that she'd be relieved and elated. But she has told me often enough that it didn't unfold like that at all. The rhythm of the abuse was a constant in her life, and without that predictable impingement, she felt lost. There was a murky void instead of relief. There was a world of self-loathing instead of elation. She slid quickly into a kind of brokenness that nothing could prepare her for. Do you need to know she was sent away to Sydney and abandoned there after she disclosed the abuse? Do you need to know about the years spent in promiscuity as she dived in and out of life experiences, practicing choice and boundaries, exploring limits and challenging fears? Do you need to know about the encephalitis, an infection in her brain that demolished her life and her ability to walk and talk for a decade? Do you need to know about the alcoholic husband she nursed to his death or the heroin addict boyfriend who wreaked havoc through another decade of her life or the multiple sclerosis? What you need to know 
is that the curveballs kept coming and kept her suicidal, more or less constantly. Her depression was like a dark passenger who travelled with her everywhere she went. Feel the feelings. She said she'd felt suicidal as far back as she could remember. And now she is a very old lady indeed. How is it that someone who has craved death with such a passion is still alive? We were sitting beside the river just a few weeks ago, our toes dangling in the water, talking about writing this piece you are reading. She surprised me, as she often does. She looked me straight in the eye and said with a forceful clarity, my life has been perfect. I didn't ever expect her to say that. She saw my confusion and went on. I've been given what I've truly needed when I've needed it. I've always known I needed help, she said, tossing her head back in an unbridled laugh. And God knows I needed a lot of help. Her laughter skittered across the water once again. Did you know that I lived in a Buddhist monastery for seven years? That was where I learned how to stay alive, even in the depths of suicidal craving. They have a practice I call naming the demon, which has changed my whole perspective on my various patterns of distress. I simply name what I'm feeling. I simply name what is happening. This helps me witness my thoughts and feelings and events. It makes it heaps easier not to get caught up in them. It gives me the time, the pause, to remember that I am not my suicidal thoughts. The thoughts are happening, but they're not who I am. They're thoughts, not facts, and they need not become acts. I do not need to do anything my thoughts suggest. I have space. I have time. I have choice. I love that I have choice today. <laughs> she was on a roll now. It had been many months since I'd seen her this animated. She sparkled as she spoke. Her hands danced in the air, almost mesmerising as she revealed more about those momentous years in the monastery. The words kept bubbling out of her. And in the pause, self-compassion can flood in. Oh, sweetheart, you're so distressed today. You're safe, precious one. How can I help you now? I say kindly to myself. And in the pause, I make room to feel the feelings. I have learned slowly and sometimes with ridiculous resistance to sit with whatever arises, to sit with the feelings, to sit with the thoughts. As we walked around the riverbank, the sensation of uneven ground beneath my feet pulsated up my legs and reminded me how precious life is, even in such simple sensations. I felt my strong legs grounded to the earth with every step as we walked and talked some more. 
I sensed her wisdom waffle, as she called these talks, was coming towards a deeper insight. Ultimately, she said, I've come to accept my dark passenger as part of my inner world, a member of my inner village. The dark passenger is no longer the rejected outcast on the edge of the village, nor is it the ruler of the village. My depression is part of me. It is not all of me, just a part. I have learned to make friends with the pain, to hear the song my suicidal self sings, and to listen to the messages spoken by my pain and my longing. Really, I've just learned at last to be kind to myself and to others, and to keep speaking up and speaking out. Silence and secrecy will kill me. Openness and truth are my go-to methods when I'm distressed. She said she'd felt suicidal as far back as she could remember, and now she was a very old lady indeed. How was it that someone who has craved death with such a passion was still alive? The simple answer is, she's worked at it. Every day she makes room for the part of herself that loves life, knowing always that the part of herself that craves death is also a member of her inner world. No part of herself is rejected. And, as it turns out, she's also rather partial to a hearty gratitude list and really good chocolate. And tell them, remember to breathe, she yelled to me from the front veranda. Then she wafted down the stairs and was out the gate in seconds. So, remember to breathe, softly, sweetly, sometimes deeply, sometimes with whistle lips, sometimes slowly, and always with love. Soft belly breathing soothes the soul. And the truth is, it's time to come clean with you now. I've never tried to shock anyone with the ghastly parts of my story. I've never even told my story before. I found it hard to write, so I pretended the pain was another person's. The truth is, I was the sex slave from birth. I was the terrified teen trying to speak up against the wall of silence. I was the woman lost in depression and with a hunger for death. I was the person who sat with the feelings, made friends with the pain, and found a way to include my depression in my inner village. I am an old lady now. I have survived my suicidal thoughts and feelings and slippery dip, a part of the landscape of my world. They are ornaments in my garden, adding depth, texture and shape to the sculpture of my compassion. I regret none of it because it all contributed to making me the amazing old lady I am today.
I can and do love myself. And at last I can say, I am glad to be alive. I got up this morning. I am my own hero. You've been listening to Holding Hands with My Dark Passenger, read by the author, Prema Ra. This podcast series was recorded and produced by Maxim Hay for the Story Circle Project and the Byron Writers' Festival.